Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Yeah? This is uh, fun for me because um, the hips are up here, some of my favorite humans on the planet. But also, I get to introduce to you one of my other favorite humans, which is Kirk Atkinson. Come on up, Kirk. Kirk is uh, the pastor of All Souls, which is over in North Nashville, and has been a friend of mine for the past 20 some odd years. Um, from our first conversation about uh, is this grace stuff that you Presbyterians preach, is it for real? Uh, all the way up to, I think God's calling me into ministry, what do you think about that? To I'm coming to Nashville to plant a church in a multiracial community because I believe the gospel can flourish there. And um, so as much as I've tried to get Kurt to come on our staff here at Midtown, he has constantly refused me. We've offered him the big bucks and he has said no. Uh, the perks, the benefits, he said no, no, I'm kidding. God has called him to this city. And the reason he's preaching here this morning, one, is because I love him and I want you to love him. Uh, but two, because uh, sometimes in the South, especially, we start to think about, I go to a church and we forget that we are the church. And meaning that we're a part of God's people across this entire city. And if we just begin to think about our own church experience in the context of Midtown, we're missing out on the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit that is, that is happening all over in places that you may not even know about. Uh, and this brother is, uh, he's an adventurer and he is on the frontier. Another reason I want you to know about him is because I want you to care about him, because I want you to care about what he's doing. Um, so he's here today intentionally. He's not just giving me a day off from preaching, uh, which I do appreciate. Uh, but he's coming here to display the glory of God through the work that he's doing through this brother. All right. So I'm going to pray for him. But would you pray with me for him as he brings uh, you the word of God? Yeah. You guys are so quiet today. Are you here? Like, all right, wake up. This is unbelievable. Everybody's got that turkey, you know, coma going on. And uh, all right. Or maybe you have that stomach flu. That's Anyway, whatever. <laughs> So two things we're not going to do. We're not going to eat turkey. We're not going to throw up during this service, but we are going to receive, all right? Okay, let's pray. Lord, uh, Father, I thank you that um, today we have one of your favorite sons, uh, a man that uh, you bled for, uh, you sought after, and uh, you leveraged the power of the kingdom of heaven to call him your own. And I pray you give him freedom right now. I pray against anything that would work against that. We need the freedom of the gospel he's talking about. We need the challenge he's about to bring to us, Father. We are complacent and often self-centered. And Lord, we need you to come and crash through our cynicism and our doubt and our selfishness and narcissism and call us to the wide and open space, to the place of uh, your grace and the place where you dwell. So. Lord, uh, bless our brother and bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Give me just a second here to uh, get everything ready. It is a real privilege uh, to be here with you guys this morning. Um, about a year and a half ago, we, my wife and I moved here two years ago this last August, and about a year and a half ago, Randy invited me to come and be part of your pastor's Tuesday morning meetings. 
And so I took him up on that, and I've been coming every morning for a year and a half, and I want you to know um, I've been incredibly blessed and fed and loved during those, um, those Tuesday morning meetings, and I'm so thankful for your pastor and for your pastor's wife, Renee, has been a, a good friend and kind and compassionate and encouraging to Deb and I uh, all these years. And so you've got a great pastor. Y'all know that? Yeah, yeah, you do. Man, y'all need to wake up a little bit because I'm used to some amens up there. Up there in North Nashville, man, people, yeah. You don't have to, though, if you don't want to. But it, you're not going to bother me if you do. Uh, but it's a real privilege to be here and uh, to share with you today. And I thank you for the opportunity uh, to hang out with your pastors every Tuesday. Let me read a passage of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 29. Starting in, chap- in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to join with this uh, family, this church body of yours this bride of yours here in South Nashville. And Lord, I ask that you would meet us right where we are. We come from all different kinds of places with all different kinds of issues, backgrounds, all kinds of brokenness and sin. And some of us come this morning with great joy and happiness, but we're all coming with different stories. But the one thing that all of our stories have in common is we are in desperate need of Jesus. Would you show us that this morning? And let us have an encounter with the risen Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. So Deb and I, we, uh, we moved here, like I said, just a little over two years ago. We live in North Nashville. Uh, we are in that area that is just on the west side of Rosa Parks. So on the east side of Rosa Parks, you've got Germantown and Salem Town. We're on the other side. Still is around 90% African American Um, By the way, 37208, I forgot to say this in the first service, has the highest incarceration rate of any city in the country for people ages 33 to 39. The Brookings Institute did a study and they looked at at years 80 through 86, people born then, and it has the highest incarceration rate of any city in the United States, our zip code, where we live. And then you might say, well, man, you look pretty white. (laughs) Sound pretty white? 
you know, why North Nashville? Why are you there? Uh, we are convinced that Jesus loves North Nashville. Now, we're not the first to show up and tell people that. God's been at work there for a long time. There are good, faithful people there. Uh, but we believe that he really wants to do something here in our city, and we're starting there in North Nashville, where um, our churches would begin to look more like the kingdom of heaven, where we would begin to look more like it's going to look when we're all gathered together in the end, in the new heavens and new earth. And we believe that he wants churches that not only are diverse like our church, but churches that are maybe not that diverse, that exist in places where there's not a ton of diversity, but where we join together and work together for the kingdom. We believe that strongly and that's why we're here. But historically, Christians have not done that well. We far too often, and this is still true, you can look at almost every church here in Nashville and see that this is still true. Our dividing lines are very, very clear. Rarely are the things that divide us unclear. They're usually front and center, and often it's what defines us. We divide over things like color and economics. We divide over cultural issues and political issues. If, if we can find something that we disagree with someone on, uh, we can make a big thing out of it and draw a dividing line. We're often separated from our neighbors and from people who are just unlike us. And we just find lots of reasons to not engage. So what does God have to say about uh, what the church should look like in Nashville, right here in our city? What should it look like for Christians here living in Nashville? How would, how would God like for Midtown, you guys, and all souls, and churches like us, uh, that take him and his son seriously, how would he like for us to live and engage here in our city? So I want to look at that today. And first, I want to look at the wrong ways to relate to the city. This uh, passage that I read is about the Babylonian Empire having invaded Israel, or Judah to be very specific, the southern part. They'd sacked Jerusalem and Babylon, Babylon did what it always did. It took the best and brightest back to Babylon. It would come in and it would raid and it would get all the resources that it wanted, all the things that it thought this would be great back home and it would take the people and the things back to Babylon. And so they've been devastated and these are God's people and, and why would he allow this to happen? Well, God had warned them about this exile. He had warned them that because your hearts are in love with every other God that pops up, because your hearts are so drawn to anything that offers you what only I can ultimately give you, but if it even is a shadow of what I ultimately can give you, you're drawn to it and you love it and your heart is full of idolatry. If you don't come back to me, this is gonna happen, and so he had predicted it, and here they are. They've lost their land, they've lost their identity, they've lost their national pride. They're living in disgrace, they're living here in this place, Babylon, amongst these godless people in terms of the real God, the God of Israel. They had all kinds of gods, but not the real God, and here they are for not serving properly the real God, 
worshiping properly the real God, now they are off in Babylon. And here they are, their, their belief system, their culture, their identifiers, the things that make them who they are, are all under threat. Everything that they have, everything that they've been, is, is kind of crumbling around them. And they're really struggling. It's a fragmented society. And in Babylon, what they wanted was that everyone that they brought in from out and about, when they conquered them, what they brought in, they wanted them to assimilate into Babylonian life. Become Babylonians. You know, assimilate in with language, assimilate in with culture, what the way you think and what you do. You wanna hold on to some of those other gods, that's all right, but take our gods and worship the things that we worship. Live amongst us the way that we are. And so there were people from all over the Middle East there that were gathered. And the Jewish response is tribalism. It's almost like, you could almost say that they had learned their lesson. We're not gonna fall for that uh, deal here. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna go out and worship other gods openly like that. We are being punished because we didn't do that well where we live. God is disciplining us. He wants to bring us back to him. We are not about to fall for this assimilation bit. And so what do they do? They join up in their tiny little group. And as they are spread around, you know that they're living in tiny little groups, almost like small groups, get, you know, spread around the empire. And it's only the Jewish people, and they weren't engaging with anyone. They weren't engaging with life. And in the previous chapter to this, chapter 28, a guy named Hananiah, who is a false prophet, and there had been other ones, came along and said, hey, y'all don't worry about this, man. Uh, you're gonna be out of here really soon. Uh, God knows where you are, he loves you, and all of this is gonna turn around, all good thing, all of this is gonna come to an end, and good things are gonna begin. Just hang on, and in two years, we're back home. We just have to survive two years. So just hang on. And so what they did was they just were focusing on God's gonna get us out of here, this God-forsaken place. We've learned our lesson. We are not gonna engage with our neighbors. We're not gonna live a full, flourishing life here. We're not gonna really live it. We're just gonna exist here is the way that they were living. And in scripture, what we find is that uh, Babylon is a real place, but it's also a, a word used to describe kind of life in this world apart from God. Or a life in this world that, that has been twisted and, and kind of went away from God. It possibly had been there, but now it's away. So it's, a, it's this world that's influenced by Satan and influenced by human sin, and that is known as Babylon. And it's everywhere. It, it is in Babylon, it's a place where they don't care about the weak. In fact, anyone who is weak is made weaker. That's the way to live in Babylon. It's the way Babylonians do it. And not only had they done this in Babylon, but they did this in Israel too. That was one of the reasons that, Je that the Lord is so disgusted. You don't care about the broken. You don't care about the wounded. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about the marginalized. You 
only care about yourselves. That really was kind of the Babylon heart. <laughs> was a self-centered heart. Just a, a, a life that is turned in on itself and the, the only way to live is for me to live for me because that's gonna be the best me that I can be. A heart that is Babylon, is a Babylon heart, is one that is, doesn't honor God, it doesn't love people, it can't. It only loves itself and what it wants. It's filled with people who are self-centered and self-serving and navel-gazing. And I've got to tell you, I, at time, I, I feel like I've got Babylon in my heart. Does that describe you at times? Do you find yourself at times thinking, I just want some things to go my way. I just want to live the way I want to live. Can you get off my back and just let me be? Do any of you here long for comfort? I don't see any heads nodding. <laughs> You're not throwing up, so I guess it's the turkey. I guess it's not that thing going around. Yeah. I mean, we, we long for comfort. I want things. I want things the way I want them. And that is a Babylonian heart. That's a heart in exile, away from God. Our problem is that we see Babylon in other people very easily. We can identify self-preserving mechanisms in everyone else. We, we can identify the Babylonian heart the heart that's not right, the one where people are twisted and they're not doing it properly, we can identify them really well. I mean, that's why we have lines after all. That's why we have these lines of demarcation where it's those people and us people. We're able to identify that's the problem out there. It's those folks that are the issue. If we could just get those folks fixed, cleaned up, and right, then everything would be all right. We're not good at looking inside of ourselves and seeing ourselves as the problem. I have a white friend who lives in North Nashville. She's been there for several years. She lives in Buena Vista. My wife and I live in Buena Vista Heights. They butt up against each other. You just cross Buchanan and you're in the other one. And this new white neighbor of hers came out. She was on the sidewalk and he walks up and he says, whew, if we can just hang on for two to three years, this neighborhood's gonna be amazing. We just gotta hang on. The drugs and violence will be gone and the folks who live here now are gonna be pushed out and this place is gonna become something that's gonna be amazing. And she was incensed because what she found was she had the best neighbors she had ever had. He's talking about the people, the Babylonians that this guy had identified. Oh, if we could just get rid of them, if we could just have those people fixed, then we're gonna be great. He's kind of a Babylonian empire. I'm gonna come in and take from you what I want, and then I can just get rid of you, and everything will be okay. We're great at that. We recognize other people's problems. You see, the Bible, the entire thing, from beginning to end, is the Lord being merciful to us and gracious to us to tell us the truth about us. It is an unpacking, showing us that all of us have these Babylonian hearts. All of us are in exile from him. That all of us need salvation. And it's a story of God saying, I'm coming to get you. 
I'm coming to take you out of exile and save you. But I've got to tell you that even as a Christian who is redeemed I, by grace, it's all, it's all because of what he has done. I still struggle. I still go back to this place where I want what Babylon offers. I want some comfort for myself and I want God to get off my back. Could he stop being so demanding and wanting so much from me? Oh, God's merciful and he's gracious to reveal it. He, he reveals and shows us, you know, for you to truly be you, you are going to have to let me come in and deliver you from this exile. You're gonna have to let me come in and redeem and do this hard work. Man, our exile can look like all kinds of things. It, it can look like addictions, things that we self-medicate with, things that, you know, and for some of us, we're addicted to ourselves. I'll never forget it. And when Randy was minister in, at Christ Prez, I'd just come to faith. We're in this Friday morning. My wife, by the way, said, I know you became a Christian because you were getting up to go to a thing at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> So I'm in this men's group and this guy got up to share his testimony and he said, you know, he's telling his story and he goes, ah, look, I may not be much, but I'm all I ever think about. I may be a wreck, but I'm a, a just consumed with myself. I'm addicted to me. And we are addicted to things that we're we can use other people. Our exile looks like using other people for our own pleasure, for our own benefit, for what makes us feel good. Exile can be working hard to find meaning and purpose and to find some identity. And come to Nashville, look at all the opportunities. My gosh, look at all the opportunities to find myself. And we run ourselves ragged in exile trying to find fulfillment and trying to get out of this thing that holds us down, trying to deliver ourselves, and God said, slow down. That work is never going to bring you the flourishing that I wanna bring you to really make you who you're created to be. Some of us, some of us have enough resources to cover up our exile, our Babylonian exile, to cover up our brokenness and sin. I mean, I'm looking here, and this is nothing against you. I mean, y'all are beautiful. Y'all look great. I mean, you have some resources to cover up the brokenness, don't we? I do. I don't look exactly like my neighbors. I've got one of those houses that uh, is sitting where one was scraped. You know, I've got two cars. I look, I, I mean, I don't look great, as great as you, but I, I mean, I've, I've got enough resources that my brokenness does not look like North Nashville's brokenness. And it would be very easy for me to look, and for even for my neighbors to look and say, if I could just be like Mr. Kirk, oh my God, don't be like me. I need you to be like Jesus. I want you to come to him. I'm not the savior. I would just love to, to show you, let's, let's get to him together. But if we're not careful, we can use our resources in such a way that can make us feel like, oh, I've pretty much got my life together. Perhaps that comes from a belief that because I follow Jesus and I'm doing a lot more right things now than I used to, 
I've got you know, a checklist. Perhaps that's why I've got more resources. If folks would just get their lives cleaned up, they would have more resources. That's insane to think that the reason that you have resources is because you've done everything right and God's really happy with you. And the reason that people are broken and wounded in the way they are where I live is because they've really just fallen further away. They don't have their act together. That is not the gospel, that's not the Christian message. Resources can blind us, resources can make us not see the rest of the world exactly the way it is and that really my neighbors are just like me, I'm just like them. Our need is exactly the same. We're in desperate need of Jesus. What is God's way to relate to the city? Or we might say what's a proper way, a gospel way, a Christian way to relate to the city? God says those prophets that have come to you are false prophets and they're lying to you. Just because you've kind of gotten your act together, I'm not just about to dump a bunch of blessings on you and everything's gonna be good just like that because you've kind of gotten your act together. You're not bowing down to idols anymore. You've kind of gotten your life cleaned up a little bit. No, he said they're liars. I do have good, a good future for you, but it does not look like the one that you, that you wanted. It's gonna be painful getting there. It's not, it's not gonna be easy. It's, it's gonna be 70 years before. And so for many of these people, they're listening to this and they're like, I don't even get to go back home. He's saying he's got a future for me and it's good for me and God loves me and I have to trust him through this. It's not looking the way I want it to look. My life doesn't, it's not gonna turn out to the way that I planned for it to turn out. And God says, but it's good. If you'll trust me, you'll find it's good. I've planned it, it's my purpose for you. Your best life, your flourishing life is gonna be found in you trusting me with your future, even though it hurts. The answer God gives them here is shocking in verse five and six. What does he tell them to do in five and six? He says, build, cultivate, build this life, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He is saying, I want you to dig in and live here like you belong here. Because you do. Because this is where I want you. It's shocking to them. He's saying, I want you to live rich, vibrant lives. And then the most shocking of all for God's people who are being disciplined is in verse seven, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that's in the ESV, by the way, and it's translated welfare. Shalom has been translated welfare. Uh, the, the other word for it that maybe we're probably more aware of is peace. Shalom means peace, but it's not like just an absence of hostility or some inner calm peace. It's this radical belief, it's this radical call to a life that is going to be a flourishing life in all of life. Shalom is one that touches on us, our social life. It touches our economic life. Shalom touches our physical life and our spiritual life. 
God says, I have this big view of your flourishing. And the way you're going to find it, the way you're going to find your best life is if you make sure the people around you flourish too. Is that amazing? Do you see what God's calling them to? He's saying, I know you don't like it. <laughs> I know it's not what you wanted. It's not gonna turn out the way you wanted it to. It's not gonna look the way you want it. But what I'm calling you to is to stop living self-centered, self-protected lives. I'm calling you to live for other people. And when you help them live and help their lives flourish, you're gonna find your best flourishing life. Is that amazing? What God calls them to. And then he offends them even more. Don't just work for them, pray for them. <laughs> Lift the, their, their future up to me, that you would be praying that good things would happen to them. Here's what God is saying. He is saying that if you and I will live for other people, we're gonna find our lives much better than if we just live for ourselves. <laughs> Have you found that to be true? We've probably experienced that at times, right? Have you, have you experienced that in your own life? And you get that taste of it? But then something in our Babylonian exiled hearts keeps calling us back to, dude, live for you. Come on, man, those people, they didn't even say thank you. Stop living for them. And God is saying, no, if, I, if you want to be who you've been created to be right now, really experience life at its fullest right now, Live for other people. Live for your city. The alternative is true too. If you don't do that, you're not going to find flourishing. Not the, not the way that you're designed to experience it at its best. Oh, you're, we can be children of God. Absolutely. That's all by grace. That's not because I live for other people. It's because Jesus lived for me. It's because Jesus died for me. That that's taken care of, but God is saying, I want you to have more than just a life that has experienced redemption. I want you to take that redemption and live the implications of it out to everyone else. It's hard to do. He says, I want you to engage, I want you to dive in. I want your life to be so connected to your neighbors that when good happens to you, it happens to them. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible call. When your city flourishes, you'll flourish. At All Souls, we have justice and mercy are two of our core values. And we call that ministry of ours uh, Nashville 297 after this passage, Jeremiah 297. And we believe that it matters that we would stand up next and stand up for people and advocate for them. You see, where we live, where many people don't have health care, and every six to 12 months, their hospital is threatened by the city to be shut down because it's not as efficient as the city would want it. When that threat comes, it sends shockwaves through my community, and my neighbors get really nervous. If we live in a place where people don't have adequate health care, I believe God is saying to us, fight for that, want that. Those people will flourish, and when they begin to flourish, and when you have stood for them, and you've loved for them, and you've stood alongside them and in their place, you're gonna find your flourishing too. Where we live, there are children all around us who don't have enough food. 
We've experienced this multiple times. I, I shared a story in the first service and of these. Uh, we had just moved in. We'd been in just a couple of weeks, maybe a week, and we didn't have any uh, window coverings, and my neighbors were all freaking out about that. They're like, Mr. Kirk, you gotta get some things on your windows, man. We can just see right through there. I'm like, stop looking. They're like, we can't help it. You've got all the lights on. We can just see right through all the time. And I'm like, oh man, I, we're, we're getting it taken care of. And I made the mistake, I said, we're, I've ordered them from Lowe's and Mark, my neighbor goes, you did what? Man, let's go to Walmart. I've got some paper I can get and we'll fix that today. Yeah. Well, these little girls were looking in our window and Deb and I were sitting at the table and we were having dinner and Deb saw them behind me and I turned around and they were embarrassed and I went out on the back porch and said, hey, what, what's, um, what's up, what are your names? And they introduced themselves. I think they're like seven and five, seven and four. They said, what are you doing in there? I said, well, I'm having dinner. Who is that? And they looked through the door and I said, well, that's Deb, that's my wife. And they were just in awe. And I said, well, have you guys had dinner yet? It's like 7.30. It's hot outside. And they're like, no. And I have no clue. I didn't dig too far. I didn't say, have you had lunch? Did you have breakfast? But it was pretty clear they were really hungry. They're looking at my table, not just surprised that white folks who, where there's a, a mom and a dad or a husband and wife together, but it's like, you're eating? And I said, hey, do you want me to come out and fix you some hot dogs? Yes. And they went and got the neighborhood kids. And so I was hot dog guy. There are, we should not be able to rest if there are children that live around us that are hungry. That should move our hearts. And God says, if you're not concerned about that, you'll never experience your full flourishing. If you don't care that a child eats and has that basic fundamental flourishing in life, you'll never have yours. When children don't, when people don't have affordable housing, it should disturb us. Deb and I, we had 22 neighbors in 30 days, between April 30th and May 30th, we had 22 neighbors that live within 150 feet of our front door that were forced out. Their rent was gonna double. Now these were our closest friends, these were five households, and we are, we miss them so badly. Our lives are not as good without them. My flourishing is not as good without them. Personally, it, it has hurt, but it's hurt them far worse. Now they're having to set up shop and find ways and find trips and find people who can help with children in Gallatin and Antioch and in um, Bordeaux. Their lives were just fractured over rent doubling. Do people have a right to double rent? Of course they do. Do we care that those people now are gonna be struggling? God says care about that. What might we do that we would care enough to change the way people get to live and have comfort and belong? God is saying when they suffer, you suffer too. We may not know it. We may have enough resources, we don't really feel it. But God says it's real. What does he want? How would he have us live? Well, my guess is right now, I could just say, hey, y'all just need to work a little harder at it. Is that, is that good news? No, man. Y'all just need to be more disciplined. Is that good news to you? More disciplined? 
That's terrible news to me, man. I, I, I am undisciplined in so many ways that it would take to be able to live like this. I've gotta have something that goes deeper than just a Nike theology of just do it. Come on, man, just do that. Just live that way. You just gotta do it. I've gotta have something that goes deeper and connects at a deeper level that actually gives me power. First desire, but then power to live like this. And what is it? It's the gospel. Jesus lived like he's calling them to live. Jesus leaves the comfort of the city of God and he comes to Babylon to save. That's the story of the gospel. That's what levels the playing field. That's where we begin to sense a humility that says, I'm not in the kingdom of God because I'm special, because I've done something special. I'm in the kingdom of God because he just loves me. Me, fallen me, broken me, exiled me. He loves me. And he's left all of that to come and take on flesh. Here, this first week of Advent, Emmanuel, he comes and takes on flesh to be God with us. What does his life look like? He went to parties. He ate with the outcast. He hung out with prostitutes and notorious sinners. He loved and touched and healed the sick. He prayed for people in cities. He loved the way he's calling them to love. Jesus is saying, I am gonna flourish in my earthly life as a human being who is both God and man. I'm gonna flourish at my best when I help those around me flourish. And he calls us to that. And the only way to find the power to do that, in fact, the encouragement to do that, is to see that kind of love and be moved by it and say, you love me that way? You love me enough to live that way? In the Bible, Babylon is almost always a city of man. It represents our cities. Jerusalem is almost always seen as the city of God. It's God's city. And what does Jesus do? He walks into God's city, God himself, and what happens to him? He's exiled to Calvary. He's cast out. He's put on a tree in Babylon, outside the city of God. Why? So that you and I can be brought into the city of God. He's exiled so that you and I no longer have to be. If we're in Jesus, we have a new name, we have a new city, and in this passage, he said, I want you to live like that. I want you to live like you belong in the city that I've brought you into. Not to get me to get you into the city. No, I've already gotten you in the city. I want you to live like you belong here. I want you to live and look a little more like your big brother. I want you to look a little more like the family I've brought you into. This is what God calls us to. He's executed outside the city so that you and I can be brought in. The gospel humbles us. If we don't come at this through the gospel, we will always, always, always find other people as the problem. We're gonna find ourselves living in self-righteousness and it will be almost impossible for us to ever serve anyone and long for their flourishing. Whether we ever see the return on that or not, we have to do this through the gospel. And you guys are celebrating the Lord's Supper today. I'm so happy for that. We get to come as members of this new city that Jesus has called us into. And we get to come and taste a meal that he's prepared. And it's him himself. And we get to, to partake of that. 
And today we get to taste the grace and mercy of a God who says, I'm willing to be exiled and outcast so that you can be brought in and become a member of my city, my family. And today we're gonna come and taste that. Let me pray for us. Father, would you take this message, this call that you put upon your people here in Babylon, and Lord, would you let us have an encounter with Jesus and that we would let you touch the Babylonian parts of our heart, the exiled parts of our heart, and that we would taste new and fresh the delight that you have in us as your children, and that we would long to live more like Jesus. It's in his name I pray, amen.